Hebrews chapter 5. The message is entitled, Our Perfect High Priest. Father, I pray that the flock might be fed this morning and challenged. And Lord, when we come to the warning, if there are some here that do not know you as Savior, that they, by the Holy Spirit, might evaluate their walk and their life. And Lord, they might flee the wrath to come, that they might receive you even this morning as their Savior. Lord, I pray that each one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners as the word goes forth, that we might be hearers of the word and also obedient to it. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We left off chapter 4, one of my favorite passages. For we do not have an high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's who Jesus is, someone where we can find help, a merciful and a faithful high priest. If you were to meet a Jewish person like these people in the church, and you were from another religion, they would say, well, how's your priesthood work? Who's your priest? Because they understood one of the elemental things was you need to have a bridge to God. You need to have an opportunity. How do you get to God by yourself? You can't do that. You need to have a priest. Priests under the old covenant were bridge builders. Men could not come directly into God's presence. And God therefore appointed certain men to be ushers, as it were, to bring men into his presence. The way to God was opened only as the priest offered sacrifices day in and day out, year after year, presenting the blood of animals to God. The priests were God's mediators. Now, I don't know if as an evangelical you've ever run into somebody that came from a even from a liturgical church, maybe a Roman Catholic church or Greek Orthodox or, or Lutheran where they have liturgy and they have robes and they do all this ceremony. And they kind of look at you like, huh, I've got a good friend, Roman Catholic, and he calls our church Paul Martin's Outfit because, you know, we just don't have the history and the lineage and all that good, heavy stuff. And, and these people, just like a lot of people today, they'll come, they'll listen to the gospel. They like that because they look at the priests and they see something. They say, eh, I don't, I've had so many Roman Catholics tell me, you know, I don't understand that. I don't even like it. But they just keep going because, well, it's what we do, you know. I've been a Catholic. My grandkids were Catholic. And so we just keep going. Even though we don't understand, we just keep doing it. Well, there were people in this church that were going through the motions also like there are in many churches. The gospel's being preached, but they're just getting hardened. They're not applying the word to their heart. They're not taking it in. They're just going through the motions. And so the writer of Hebrews tells them, first of all, in verses 1 through 4, the purpose of a priest and what the requirements were in the Old Testament. From the Old Testament, he pulls the principles out in verse 1 through 4, and he says, first of all, they must be appointed from human beings. They must be a man. Jesus had to become human in order to be the faithful and merciful high priest so he would be partaker in the same things we are in our flesh. And then he would be an offering that the Father would accept when he offered himself up. So first of all, they must be a man, and they must be appointed by God. 
It wasn't for somebody to just stand up and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a priest. I think I'd like to be a priest. No, they have to be appointed by God. In the Old Testament, they had to be from the tribe of Levi. Then there was all kinds of requirements they had to pass so they were a priest that was qualified. And then they had a ministry on behalf of men, a way to God, a merciful and faithful teacher, and a sacrifice officer, offerer. So they had to be qualified, and they had to have an identity with human beings. And they had to be merciful. They had to be humble. Well, in verse 1 it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weaknesses. I want to just stop there. If a Jewish person sitting in this congregation that the writer of Hebrews is writing to thought honestly about what they thought about their priesthood, that's not what their priests were. First of all, it wasn't appointed according to the law of the Old Testament. It had become, because of the great amount of money they were making, a very political thing. Rome was involved because they were always causing trouble down at the temple, so they wanted to make sure they were involved. And they were thugs. They're the men that made sure Jesus was put to death. They had less mercy than the Romans did. And so when they thought about their priest, they didn't think about a humble, merciful guy that could identify with them, but they just went through the motions anyway. Well, it's what we do. What are you going to do? We think about some of those that have been put in that position today that are called priests. And they have been guilty of all kinds of sins, but what are you going to do? There's always corruption. We just have to accept it. It's just the system. But they might look at you like these Jews might have said, yeah, but what do you got? You got nothing. You have no high priest. Where's the system? And I think in many ways that's why that liturgy and all of those things were brought back into the church because they weren't there with Peter and the apostles. They didn't bring that stuff along. They, They were not priests. They were apostles, but they weren't priests. But I think in order to bring legitimacy, they brought all these things back in. Of course, we know that when Constantine uh, saw, had a vision of an X in the sky, and he had a vision from God conquering this sign, he said, okay. And so he came and he won, and then he said, okay, hocus pocus. Everybody is now a part of the Christian church, Christian church in, which is great for the Christians because on one side, they weren't going to be persecuted anymore by the government. But on the other, chan- other side, the church was totally polluted because they just brought all the pagan practices into the church. If you read a book called Two Babylons, an old book, if you wondered why the, where the Pope gets his hat from, that really high hat, they just kind of included all the different religions and the priest, the high priest of the god Pisces wore a hat like that. It's a fish, upside down. And they had robe coming down. They had all these differences in the book of Revelation, John writes about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And that's just that idea that we have these, these ranks of Christians. And you have the clergy and the laity. And the clergy, they're up here, and the laity is down here. And it's wrong. 
But people just put up with it just like they did in those days. Well, what are you going to do? You've got to have a priest. And they offered their sacrifices, but there was even a heaviness in that. Just going through the motions. Even the book of Malachi. Malachi writes as God's prophet, and he said, oh, you priests. It's just become such a weariness to you. So what are you talking about? Because you say, oh, the table of the Lord, what a weariness to have to go do sacrifices again. And Malachi says to those people in that time, I wish somebody would just shut the doors. What God was looking for was a heart of man. He set up the law to be a teacher that you can't come to God on your own. You need grace. Nobody can keep the law. Nobody can keep the law. No one can be good enough. But instead of seeing the law as that schoolmaster to bring us to God, when they saw they couldn't keep the law, they just wrote new ones. And that's what the lawyers in the New Testament were all about, to get people off. So much so that we learn when we're in Israel, there's a, a little film you can watch right at the Temple Mount before you go in and you look around the outside. And the film said that it got to be that going up to the temple was for many a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And they talk about how wonderful and glorious it was and all the things a, a fellow would go through when we went up for his once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, as a study of the Bible, you say, hold it, just a minute. Didn't the Bible command that every male present himself before the Lord three times a year, what happened? Ah, oh, the weariness, you know. Sacrifice, not that important. Not a big deal. You know what they did? They invented something else called mikvahs. You just cleanse yourself. So they had these big, they started discovering these baptisms, these mikvahs all over the place. And it wasn't about the sacrifice, it was about you cleansing yourself so you'd be presentable to God and they lost the teaching, the elemental teaching, that is the blood that cleanses. You need to have a blood sacrifice. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission. Otherwise, why didn't God just take Adam and Eve and just give them a dunk in the water? No, there had to be a sacrifice of blood. And the Bible's going to go on to say here in Hebrews that it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. It was just a temporary covering, but a reminder they needed a sacrifice. Verse 3 it says, And because of it he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins, as for the people, so also for himself. And it was always a reminder, everything they did, from circumcision to the daily sacrifices to the once a year Yom Kippur, there's always this reminder that they were sinners, they were sinners, they were sinners, they were sinners. They were sinners. And they needed a Savior. But when Jesus came, they had developed their religion to the point that sin wasn't the problem, politics were the problem. If they could just get rid of Rome, then they would be free. But John came, John the Baptist came preparing the way. He was preaching repentance and then one day Jesus showed up and he said, there he is, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But they didn't think they needed a Savior. See, that was the point of the law, to show them they needed a Savior. 
not to give them a religion so they'd be okay. Verse 4 says, No one takes this honor to himself, but receives him when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. But it wasn't that way anymore. If the Jewish people that were apart, that were kind of on the fence, not deciding whether to follow Christ or go back to the old ways, they were on the fence. And they thought about the ceremony and how old it was and how long they'd been a part of it. And they were not seeing that which was perfect, which was Christ. Verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself. Verses 5 through 10 are the perfect priest. You have the ideal of what God expected a priest to be. Number one, he didn't choose himself. He was selected. He was qualified by the word of God and he was chosen by God. And he was to be humble. He was to identify with the people because he also had the same weaknesses they did. And he was to offer sacrifices. So also Christ did not glorify himself, but God chose him. In the Old Testament, he quotes, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek was the priest that Abraham brought tithes to. Remember Adam, I mean um, Abraham and his nephew Lot came to the land and Abraham said, You know what Lot, you choose which way you want to go. Our herds are getting too big to be together, and their herdsmen were kind of in conflict. And so they decided they would go different ways. He said, you choose whatever you want to go. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he behold the watered plains of Sodom. And he said, oh, that's where I want to be. So he went that way, and Abraham went the other way. But some kings came and attacked where Lot was and carried all the people away. And so Abraham got his men together. They were some tough hombres. The cattlemen he had... They were cowboys with guns, if they had guns in those days, which they didn't. But they were, they were weaponized. And they went out, and they recaptured the people and came back. And Abraham went in the power of God, so he was so thankful, he knew what to do. He went and he offered tithes to the Lord through Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a type. We don't have any lineage of his. He doesn't have... Any parents listed, and he has not his death ended. And so he's a type of Christ. And he said he's a part of that because, see, Jesus can't be a priest based upon the Aaronic uh, priesthood because he was of the tribe of what? Judah. And you had to be a tribe of the tribe of Levi to be a tribe according to the law. Jesus fulfilled all the law then he becomes a priest after the order of Melchizedek because he's like Melchizedek in that he has no beginning and no end and he's a king and he's a priest, both. Verse 7, In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears of the one able to save him from death and he was heard because of his faithfulness, his piety. Now we know that Jesus took upon him the sins of the whole world of all time before him and after him. And the worth of the sacrifice of Jesus is enough to pay for all the sins of all the sinners that ever lived. 
but it is only proficient in those that receive it. The Bible says in John 1.12, as many as receive him to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So in the garden, we, we study that part, that part, and the Bible says, as the sin of the world was laid upon him. Now think about that. You know how much grief is caused when someone sins against you. Some of you as little children, people hurt you. We live in a world as we get more and more immoral, you know who suffers the most little children? You don't get to hold sin in a box. You don't get control immorality. It just goes out. And you know what pain sin against you has caused. And you know your own pain when you cause somebody else grief because of your sin against them. Because we all sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And people might ask, if God is a God of love, then why is there so much destruction and pain and misery in this world? That's not God, that's sin. And you don't change it by changing the name of an activity and say, well, that's not sin anymore. We've evolved. And so that's not sin. We just call that not sin. It still causes pain in the person that's involved and pain in the people that are around them, right? It causes pain and destruction. People are very, very cruel to one another, aren't they? We'll just wait till he's done. He's convicted by this preaching. We had one in the first service too. Just because you change the name and say, well, we'll just say this isn't sin anymore doesn't mean it doesn't cause destruction. It still causes death. You say, well, it's not sin anymore, it's a disease. It still kills. It still kills. And so a good doctor, you go to a doctor, a doctor doesn't say, he sees that you have a disease and he has a cure for it, but he doesn't want you to go through the discomfort of the cure, so he says, hey, don't worry about it. You say, well, that's not a good doctor. As much as the truth might hurt, I need to know the truth. And as much as the cure might be uncomfortable, give me the cure. Let's get on with it. Jesus suffered. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Where did he become sin? In the garden. The Bible says the grief, where he was understanding the pain of our sin, the grief was so much that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, and he would have died of a broken heart in the garden had not the angel showed up to strengthen him. But he went to the cross, forsaken by all, even his own family except for his mother didn't show up. The disciples all fled except for John. And they all, some of them stood afar off, but they were taking care of themselves. He said, but hold it, it says there that he was saved from death. No, actually he was saved out of death. Jesus finished the work of salvation on the cross before he died. In John 10, he prophesied about himself. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and then I'll take it up again. What Jesus was, was crying about was not 
the nails are going to be driven through his wrists and his ankles and the beings he received. The greatest pain, the greatest fear of our Savior was that he was going to be separated from the Father. Something that we as children of God will never know. But if you reject the grace of God, one day you will know it. When you're separated eternally from God. Right now, even if you don't love Jesus, even if you don't follow him, you're not a believer, you still are experiencing the love and the grace of God as you live on this earth. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You still experience it, but one day you'll be separated from it. Jesus was separated in those hours in the cross. Remember when he cried out after all of the suffering he was going through, he cried out and he said, Yama, uh, Eli, Eli, Yama Sabachthani. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then what does the Bible say? Everything went dark as Jesus suffered those last three hours on the cross. Separated from the Father because of my sin, because of your sin, because of the sin of the world. He suffered. That's what Jesus was in fear of. But the Bible says he was taken out of death. What happened when he died? Because he, on the cross, when he finished the work, he cried out, it is finished. He completed the work of salvation on the cross. There's nothing left for us to do but receive it. It was finished. And then the Bible says, he pillowed his head and dismissed his spirit. And what did he do then? His suffering was done. He didn't go to hell to suffer. He went to the place of incarceration of those evil spirits that back in the days of Noah we're working to try to make man unredeemable. And so, as much as we can understand, there were demons that indwelt some men, and they tried to intermarry with humans to try to corrupt the race to the point they were unredeemable. God said enough of that. When he, when he brought the flood and he saved Noah's family, he took those evil spirits and he put them in prison. And so when Jesus dismissed his spirit, he went to that prison to make sure they understood, I won, you lost. That's what he did. What a savior. And then his exclamation point in his victory, on the third day, just as he said, he rose again from the dead. He was saved out of death. He went to death because of our sin. And the father raised him back up from the dead again. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. John MacArthur says, Jesus had to learn certain things by suffering. You can tell somebody that's lost a loved one, a spouse, or a child, I really feel bad for you. But if you've been in that same place yourself, you have so much more to minister, don't you? Because when you learn something by suffering, it is yours now. I learned so much. And I've told you before, I'm not going to go into the story, but when uh, our youngest son was taken home to be with the Lord, we just found him one morning, Sid's. And as a young pastor and wife, that was crushing. That could have been a crushing blow. What we experienced was the grace of God. One of the things I learned they didn't tell you in seminary is you don't need a lot of words to comfort people that are hurting. Just be a hurting person yourself. It means so much. 
to people. And you say, no, I've been there. I've been there. That's why Jesus is that faithful and merciful high priest. He suffered for sin even though he was innocent of sin. He suffered rejection. The Bible says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses. He was tested at every point, just like you can't say, well, that's Jesus. He, he didn't know what I'm talking about. No, no, he's been there. He has been there. He's a faithful and a merciful high priest. He's a perfect high priest. All those who obey him, he is the source of salvation. The great verse in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Paul calls preaching the gospel, preaching obedience of the gospel to the Gentiles. Because that, that's what it is. It's a decision to follow Christ. That was Jesus' invitation. If any man would come after me, deny yourself, your own way, your own works, take up your cross, and follow me. He paid the price. That's his invitation. Will you obey the gospel? The gospel is not something you can just hear and say, well, I know the facts of the gospel, so when there's a quiz at the gate, then I'll get in. No, no, no. Absent from the body, present of the Lord, based upon your relationship with him, not your, just your knowledge in your head. And that's what was happening here. These people were hearing information, but some of them in the church going along, hardened, almost getting hardened and inoculated against the gospel by hearing it and not receiving it. You say, well, I thought Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. But as he suffered, he became the perfect high priest. In his suffering and death, Jesus fulfilled the third requirement of high priest. He offered the sacrifice of himself and therefore became the perfect high priest and the source of eternal salvation. Jesus went through everything he had to go through and accomplished all he needed to so he could be that perfect, faithful, and merciful high priest. Verse 10 now, he goes back to this priesthood of Melchizedek, and he wants, he wants people to get this. This is so good. He says, listen, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, not only is he a perfect high priest, but he's from a better priesthood. He's going to go into detail, Lord willing, we get into a couple more chapters. He's going to say, well, hold it. Abraham, he's the father of faith from which Aaron came and that priesthood and the law and Moses and all that came from, from Abraham. But Abraham offered tithes to that which is greater, Melchizedek. And Jesus is not only the perfect high priest, but he's from a better priesthood. But he says this, verse 11, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become so dull of hearing. So from verse 11 through 14, what we have is another warning. We've been warned not to drift, not to just go along, but partake of the truth. And he says here first, dull of hearing, just not interested. You've heard it. That doesn't get me. 
Maybe you come and, and he's speaking to people that are in the church, right? Maybe you come to a Bookman conference, you go away and everybody's like, oh man, that was awesome. One that was great. And you're going, yeah, I really can't follow him. Yeah, he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going, what? You, you didn't like that? I'm not saying we get it all because that's like drinking from the fire hose. But when, when Bookman is preaching or when Wallace comes or we have these guys are ready to listen to John McCarthy, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not, that's not big. I don't get it. I don't get what the big deal is. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. They've been hearing the gospel enough and they haven't received it, so it's kind of made them hard. Farmers in the Midwest where they are plowing the ground all the time, and every once in a while, they have to get a deeper chisel because what happens is they're plowing their plows and their discs, and as they turn the soil, only goes so far. And what's developed underneath the soil that's turned over is a plow pan. And the nutrients from deeper can't come up because it just gets hard because of the plowing over and over. That can happen to you if you're a child growing up in a Christian home and you don't partake of grace, so you know all the answers. You think it's just more information. Yeah, I've heard the gospel before. I don't know what the big deal is. All of us can get dull of hearing. And we're hearing good things, but we're just not letting it penetrate. John MacArthur says when a person is spiritually dull, he's difficult to teach. One of my favorite phrases now is what Mark Reisowitz always puts out when we get to that place in Scripture. Jesus is with his disciples. He's teaching them personally. I mean, he's with them. They're seeing the miracles. And then sometimes Jesus is just amazed. And the phrase is, are you still so dull? I mean, Jesus is saying that. You guys are getting this? Are you still so dull? Listen, we can all get a little dull, can't we? We can all be, just begin to take things for granted and not let it affect us. They are going to have to wake up and become alert. If they're to appreciate the truth, significance, and the necessity of the new covenant. Because see, they were okay with the old one. What's wrong with the old one? Can't we just bring that along? You have yours, I'll have mine. These lethargic unbelievers have a lot of counterparts today. People hear the gospel, they're stirred, they're excited. Spiritual understanding appears to begin, but the more they hear it without accepting it, the more spiritually sluggish they become. And pretty soon, it's just not that interesting. Well, I'll go to church, what we do, you know. My wife goes to church. My husband goes to church. Family, we go to church, what we do. But it's not food. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing is trying to get them to wake up to the fact, if you're not interested in the word of God, something's wrong. That's why Peter wrote his last Swan song, his last instruction to his people in 2 Peter, he said, listen, God has given you everything you need for life and for godliness, but if these things are not in you, if you're not excited about the word, if you're not excited about growing in love and kindness, then something's wrong. If you're not interested in growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, something's wrong. Either you have eye disease, right, and you've become dull in your seeing, right, Or, he said, you've come nearsighted, or you've, you, you've backslidden, or you were never saved. You just never got it. And so he's saying these things so that people wake up and go, you know, wow, is that possible? Maybe I never got it. 
So the word of God is not food. It's just some more instruction. You guys keep talking. How much can you handle? Right? Become dull of hearing. It's just not interesting anymore. 12 and 13. Not able to process because you don't have life. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Now, one of the fun things I like to do as a grandpa, and, and it's okay, is start feeding stuff to babies. Like the first time you give them ice cream, bing. Oh, that's awesome. They had no idea how much they liked ice cream. You know, you get a little older. I remember uh, when Harrison was his first Easter here, he was about two. He was barely walking. And Christy got those yellow peeps, you know, covered with sugar marshmallows. Give him one of those. His lies, they were this big. They just went, poof, started glowing. He decided he liked sugar. And, and Christy's always saying, hey, you should give that to a baby. I'm trying to make them understand that no one will ever be as good to them as their papa will. They need to know that. We want to start early. But we can't give babies steak. They don't have teeth. Their systems are not set up to be able to process that food. And he said, that, that's where you're at. And when he was talking about going back to the elementary things, he's not talking about going back and teaching the basis of Christianity. He said, we need to go back and tell you what the purpose of the elementary things, the law was. You see, in the Old Testament, God gave very concrete lists and lessons, very strict so they understood. He said, this is sin. And he listed it out. This is sin. God says this is sin. They didn't know what it was before. Now they have a law. In the New Testament, Paul said, here's how it worked. You didn't know it was sin until God made a law. Then you said, I want to break that law. That's just your flesh, right? You see a speed limit sign, and you say, well, I can go five miles over. You know, five is fine, nine you're mine, right? That's what they say to the policeman. You know, it's okay. I was only going three over. You broke the law. Our flesh resists the law, but God says, okay, you want the laws? Here it is. And he listed it out. And what was sin in the Old Testament is still sin today, right? We, you may think as a people we've evolved, and now certain lifestyles are not sin anymore. Well, the preacher has to say that because, you know, he's the preacher. But you and me, we know that it's okay to go to Vegas and get drunk because, you know, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Really? I've been to Vegas, hopefully not the same reason you may have gone before you got saved, but uh, went over one time with my son Andrew, they had the SEMA, big SEMA convention for the cars, and I was amazed that they don't mind being Sin City, that's kind of a thing they brag about over there, and uh, they had this big billboard, can't remember the fellow's name, he was some kind of entertainer, and he said, so-and-so, putting the sin back in the Sin City, yeah, I want to be that guy. Because see, to them, sin's a joke. And, and this is a place you can sin and get away with it. So every once in a while, I say, I'm going to go to the free zone. Only we've spread this free zone all across the United States today, haven't we? 
And what God says is an abomination, what God says is sin, we celebrate. Has God changed? No, he hasn't. He hasn't changed. And he said, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, we've got to go back and tell you the purpose of the law again. The purpose of the law was to point out that you're never going to make it to God on your own. Because about the time you think you got the external stuff taken care of, God points out, well, if you just covet your neighbor's wife, just in your mind, his horse, the things that he has, God says sin. What does God say about sin? If you break part of the law, you're guilty of what? All the law. The soul that sins shall die. And again, that beautiful picture that Dr. Brookman brought us from that old gospel song. There's the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant is the law that reminds a holy God that he is supposed to punish sin. But in between is the mercy seat in which Jesus interposed his precious blood. But he said, I need to go back. This is the writer of Hebrews says, we need to go back and show you again the law. The law wasn't a little thing for you to keep so that you can make your own way to heaven. The law was to point out you can't save yourself. Even circumcision was to point out that the very beginning of life, we are all together conceived in sin, every one of us. But there is a Savior. He said, I need to go back because you are not, you can't process the gospel if you understand what the purpose of the law was. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to God, Paul said in Galatians. That's what it was. By keeping the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, only condemned. Only condemned. That's all the law does. A lot of religions, they talk about whether, you know, you're a good Jewish boy or a good Catholic or whatever. It was all about the guilt, wasn't it? The guilt. That's because that's what the law does. There's only release in the grace of Jesus Christ. So that first of all, you're getting dull by hearing it over and over and not responding to it. Secondly, you couldn't process the gospel anyway because you understand the purpose of the law. And thirdly, he said solid food is for the mature. Who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. What happens if you come to Christ? You get the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in 1 John 2.27, you have need that no man teaches you but the anointing that you received. Doesn't mean we don't want pastors and Sunday school teachers. No, they're, they're a help to us. But if somebody says to you, listen, unless you come and hear this fella, you'll never know the truth because he has the keys and the knowledge. Wrong church, right? Wrong church. Because if you know Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and it'll start with just peace. I remember years ago, a fella named Michael Lewis got saved. He was in the art department. Uh, he was a student in the art department. And he's kind of a wild-looking guy, like some artists are, right? They're kind of crazy. My youngest son got his degree in that. We keep him in the cage back there when he's here. And uh, he came to Christ. And he didn't know much, but one day he was working on a project. They have a big room up there in the old art department. And he was working on a project. And these fellas walked in and looked around. He didn't know them. They walked right over to him and began to feed him some kind of cult stuff. It was just way out there. And Michael didn't know anything else, but he finally said, fellas, you guys just need to stop. 
I don't know what you're talking about, but I have no peace about talking to you anymore, so just go away. And they went away. See, God starts with, he, gives, he renews your conscience. And you know the difference between right and wrong. And he said, I don't have any answers for you. You guys are smarter than me, but I don't want to listen to this anymore. You know what the Bible says? Let the peace of God rule and reign in your heart. But as a believer, you want to know what's right and wrong. Now, you're going to not know wrong so much by studying all the wrongness out there, but you study the truth. And just like those, we've said many times, that in our government that's, that need to know what counterfeit money is, they don't study all the different kinds of counterfeiters because those multiply with the population. What they do is they study the truth. So when something false comes up, it's glaring. Study the truth. The problem is if you don't have the Lord, you have no discernment. And if you're not discipled, even as a believer, you can just believe everything. Somebody says, oh, they're Christian. Oh, great. And all this false stuff comes out and you're just taken in by it because you're not experienced in the Word of God. You're not growing in the Word of God. So anybody can just take you down the road. A friend of mine, older than me, much wiser, I'm sure, comes to me one time and says, oh, I just love listening to that Joel Osteen. You know, I like to get to the point and not waste time. I said, why would you listen to him? He's a liar. And the guy about choke, what? Well, he's a preacher. Yeah, he may be a preacher, but he's not telling you the truth. He's feeding you a lie that says, listen, you just work hard. You have a positive attitude. You're going to make it. That's not what the Bible says, is it? That's not what it teaches. Yeah, but you can have your best life now. I hope not. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's called you to faithfulness. Faithfulness is going to cost you something as a believer. But we know in heaven it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. But if you, you want to be open to everything, just don't study the truth. Just kind of try to figure it out yourself. See, as believers, we don't come to the word of God to decide what we want to take. Oh, I don't like that part. Let's not do that part. Say, when I understand it, then I'll obey that. No, no, no. We come to the word of God as trusters in our perfect high priest, and we bow before it and say, Lord, give me understanding, and then give me the grace that I might be obedient. Higher criticism comes along and says, well, you know, I think Paul had a bad attitude here, so we don't have to buy that part. Yeah, I don't like what it says here, so... Obviously, God was late on that one. So, you know, we've, we've, so, and we just put it aside. Listen, it's not easy, is it? But it's simple if we just say, listen, God, give me understanding and then give me grace to obey because, Father, I want to be found faithful. And all oh, the joy of one day hearing from Jesus Christ. Well done, faithful servant. See, faith is not understanding everything and then obeying. That can be rebellion. It's just trusting God and obeying him. The old gospel song says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still. Not to us, but all that will trust and obey. Father, I pray 
If there are some, and we don't know hearts, you do. They don't know you as their own personal Savior. And they're kind of on the fence. They're looking at their own traditions they came from and say, well, that's been here a long time, and I don't know much about Jesus. But we know that only you can convict them of their lost place. Only you can give them encouragement and the faith to believe in you because even that is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But Lord, use these words to minister to their heart. And we even as believers, we can grow dull because we just take your word for granted. And sometimes we even take our grace for granted. But Lord, peel off those calluses. Give us a tender heart to your word. Lord, stir us up a desire and a hunger for your word and grace that we might be found obedient. And we'll give you all the glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.